When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go beyond reality. Anyway, good to see everybody in our chat room. And of course, uh, listening, regardless of where you're listening to us from, we have a really exciting program to for you tonight. Uh, Paul Selig will be back with us. He's returning from, I can't remember when he was on last. Uh, I don't know, it was a while ago, but I remember uh, it was a great program, and he's come back. He has a new book that is out called Beyond the Known Realization. He's a spiritual channel. He's written many books, and I say he's written, but in fact, he's channeled these books from a higher power, spirit guides, according to him. And these spirit guides have been sending him messages of healing and power and asking him to share these messages with the world. And that's what he's been doing through these books. And he's got a new one out. Again, it's called Beyond the Known Realization. And we will be uh, talking with him about all of that. Personal and planetary evolution is uh, what this particular book is about, which will help guide us to awaken to our own divine nature. So a lot of great stuff coming up on the program. And, of course, the best way to participate and enjoy these discussions is to become a subscriber on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube, search for JV Johnson, and you will find it there. By the way, I, I don't know what's going on with the podcast distribution. Um, I know people are getting the show because we still have tons of downloads of the program. However, I am getting some emails from folks saying that they aren't getting the show. And um, they say that you know they're, uh, through their normal channels, whether it's Apple Podcasts or whatever it happens to be, they aren't getting the program like they should be. Now, we did have a change of podcast host, but everything should have been updated. So I don't know. There's, you know, there's certainly a possibility of a glitch somewhere along the way. If you are one of those these folks and you're watching the YouTube uh, video, but you prefer the podcast version or uh, whatever, however you're hearing this right now and you're having trouble getting the podcast downloaded like you used to, please send me an email. Send it directly to me. My personal email is JVJ, it's my initials, JVJ at Scaracon, S-C-A-R-E-A-C-O-N dot com. JVJ at Scaracon dot com. Let me know what problem you're having because I want to get to the bottom of all of this and make sure everyone is getting the show like they should. Um, having said that, I can tell you that the, the show, if, if you kind of start over, and you go to Spotify or you go to Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or any of the major podcast distribu- distribution platforms and search for Beyond Reality Paranormal. It used to be on Reality Radio. Now it's Beyond Reality Paranormal. You should be able to find it that way as well. But again, if you're having trouble, please send me an email so I know because I want to make sure we get it fixed. Okay, what else do we have to talk about? I think that's essentially... Oh, one other thing. Um, again, big thank you to all the folks who have supported us, whether it's through the uh, Anchor podcast platform or through our uh, Patreon page. Um, we had uh, a bunch of folks join us, and one other uh, thank you I'd like to offer is uh, Kristen Minden. Thank you for supporting the show on Patreon. We really appreciate it. Appreciate your support very, very much. Okay, I think that does it. So we'll go to break and we'll get ready to talk to Paul Selig tonight again. He's a spiritual channel. His website is his name, paulselig.com. Please support the program. Go to patreon.com slash johaw. That's J-O-H-A-W. I think last time Paul was here was about a year ago. But Paul Selig is our guest tonight. He is a spiritual channel. He's written many books through this process, we're going to talk about his most recent Beyond the Known realization, plus uh, many of his other works. Uh, Paul, welcome back to Beyond Reality. It's great to have you with us again. Thanks for having me again. So, um, 
I, I just want to make sure we get all this straight because you have, I think the last time you were here, about a year ago, we were talking about the Master Trilogy of yeah. of books. And um, it sounds like, to me, this Beyond the Known realization is the beginning of another trilogy? Exactly, yeah. It was the first book of the new series. It's the first book of the new series, and does it does it pick up? And we got to get into the details just to remind folks exactly what your books uh, convey, because uh, these are messages that are channeled through you to the pages of the book uh, from your spirit guides. Exactly. Tell us a little bit about that. How long has that been happening for you? Well, the books have been coming through since two thousand and nine. Um, you know, I had been a college teacher for, you know, 25 years at NYU, and I was doing channeling, um, but I was doing it very quietly. I had a group that met in my apartment for about 18 years, and one night the guides turned to somebody in my group and said, you know, Paul's not going to believe what's coming through him until he sees it written down, and I hadn't been recording or transcribing. I was more interested in the energy that would come through in the sessions, which was, you know, extremely palpable spiritual energy. Um, but I did, once I began to record and transcribe, they began to deliver books. So the process of delivering a book literally is I sit in a chair, I close my eyes, I hear one phrase repeated, I give voice to that phrase, and then the rest of the text just tumbles out. So the first book was dictated over two and a half weeks of sessions. Um, none of the books really take more than, say, 30, 32 days of sessions because they're all done publicly now in workshops in front of people. Wow. So the books are the, you know, the transcripts of the spoken channeling, and they're the unedited transcript. They're transcribed, compiled, and they go to the publisher. And did you say that as these are being channeled to you, you're writing them down, or are you speaking no, them and spoken. recording them? Okay. They're spoken texts. They go to a transcriptionist. In the early days, I was transcribing myself. Right. And I just can't do it anymore. The volume of material is, is too great. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm channeling all the time, and they're dictating lectures all the time. And, you know, when they're doing a book, the book is particular. A book has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And they say, this is in the book, this is in the book, this is in the book, when they're doing a book. But, you know, I just can't type that much. My fingers will fall off. <laughs> Uh, when this started for you, prior to it becoming books, uh, was it just simple messages? Was it just simple energy? Uh, what was what was the question? Yeah, what was the beginning of this? Well, the beginning of this was you know I wasn't I wasn't somebody who necessarily even believed in channeling. You know, I was raised sort of an atheist, and I started to open up spiritually and then psychically in my mid twenties when I began looking for something more, really out of sheer necessity. I ended up studying a form of energy healing. Um, as a way to get a context for the opening that I was going through. I'd begun seeing little lights around people and feeling energy, which is clairsentience and not really understanding what those things meant. So I studied healing, and I was volunteering at a center for people with life-challenging illness. It was the height of the AIDS epidemic in New York, and there were these pop-ups. The one I was working in was, was begun by Marianne Williamson. And I found that when I had my hands on people's bodies, I began to hear things for them. I mean, it was startling to me, um, and then the client would confirm what I was hearing, and that was the beginning of my sort of understanding that there was something to be heard. And as I continued working, I just really expanded or refined the channel. So when I'm channeling now, I'm hearing my guides. When I work psychically, and when I was working back at that center in those days, I was hearing for the client or aspects of the client were speaking to me. So when I read, for example, if you're estranged from your partner and you give me your partner's name, I might be able to step into your partner. I may begin to resemble her, which is an odd thing that happens. But I can hear. So I'm really just a radio. You know, when yeah. I'm channeling my guides, they're the station I'm playing. They're the broadcast I'm getting. And when I do other work, I tune into people. But that's how it began. And then I had a group that met in my apartment, as I said, and the very first evening I started getting messages for the group. But what I do now, which is this lecturing with all this energy that comes through and attunements that the guides bring through for people to work with the energy, that evolved over time. As you started reading for people and started mm -hmm. getting messages for people, mm -hmm. um, did that change your 
your spiritual uh, world? It must have changed it some. And did it change? I don't know if you were religious prior to that. You said you kind of had no. a spiritual awakening in your 20s. 20s. Yeah, I was an atheist. I oh, mean, okay. I was raised to believe that only stupid people believed in this stuff. Well, And I was kind of comfortable with that. It was sort of a New York arrogance. You know, I would say, you know, we didn't go to church. We went to therapy. And... Um, when I began to open up spiritually, I was everybody was surprised. Truthfully, um, I had one of those odd experiences, a couple of them actually, early on, that gave me enough indication that there was something there that I needed to pay attention to. So, no, there was nothing really in my background, at least in this lifetime, to support what I ended up doing. I don't know if this was the whole question you asked, but. Um, yeah, well, I, you know, and, and a lot of these things we covered the first time you were on, yeah. but I think it's important to cover them again sure. uh, as as we lay this foundation to start talking about the book so people yeah. understand if they haven't heard of your work before. Um, uh, but uh, you, you keep referencing they. They, right. you know, came through. They yeah. sent messages. They, whatever. Mm-hmm. Who Who is that? Other than calling them spirit guides, who are mm-hmm. they? Well, I call them the guides. And the only reason I call them the guides is that, you know, when my ex, found out that I could do this many years ago, um, I used to hear, ask the guides this, ask the guides that, and that's how they got the name. So the name was completely convenient to the relationship I happened to be in, and and the guides, or what I call the guides, don't seem to object to it, but they're teachers. They come to teach. They call themselves different things. They say, you know, some of us have been informed, some of us have not. The name that they've used, when they do use a name, and they say, if you wish to call us something, you can call us Melchizedek, which is a priesthood and a very old name. My favorite definition of them is when they said, you know, we are who you become when you know who you are. So their their consciousness, it's a collective. They use the we. I tend to hear a voice that I know is a singular voice, but other people who hear me when I work, because I do a lot of public work, can hear the differences in some of them. There are slight differences in vocabulary at times and texture and accent. But they're teachers. They've come to teach, and that's what they're doing. Well, other people on the program and in, 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 in some of this, uh, well, maybe psychic circles will reference mm-hmm. uh, spirit guides. And that, mm-hmm. I've actually used that term in reference to what yeah. we're talking about tonight. But is it the same thing? Are we talking yeah. about the same thing? Or is, or is this guides with a capital G? I think it's guides with a capital G. I mean, it's not like my great aunt on the other side, you know, who's got some advice and wants me to know her recipe for, <laughs> right. you know, baked Alaska. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. That's spiritual mediumship, and I think that's uh, an amazing skill. It's not my primary skill. They call me a medium for the living. As long as somebody still has a body, I can generally tune into them and hear. The guides are coming through at a higher level. They're coming through at a, at a, it's a spiritual ability, I suspect, more than a psychic ability. Um, the kind of clear audience that I'm working with. Um, and, and I think that, you know, their emphasis is very specific. They've been bringing through this sequential teaching since 2009 in this series of texts that are all really about how humanity realizes itself as their true divine expression, the divine self, the, the truth of who and what they say we are. So that's my understanding of this. Um, I don't think it really makes a difference. I, could, I don't think the guides could care less. But I don't think of them necessarily as, you know, the personal guides that might say, you know, time to take a vacation, you know. I, I mean, they may be operating with me that way. But my primary um, agreement with them seems to be to be showing up for their teaching. When I ask a personal question for myself, and it's related to something that needs to happen in the moment, I'll usually get an answer. The guides are very big on our not taking actions based in fear, or my not taking actions based in fear. And I get counsel on those kinds of things, but they're not predicting my future for me or giving me the lucky numbers. It's none of that psychic <laughs> stuff. That's just not how it works with me. You use the word agreement. Now, was this, and again, just to use your word, was this an agreement you entered into willingly, or did it just come to you? Did it just happen to you? It's a really interesting question. I mean, I'll, I'll you know, I've, I've been told 
that I've been sort of working with this collective prior to this incarnation. I don't have a lot of that information, just scraps. But I will say this, you know, I um, I had a couple of large experiences when I was in my mid-20s, maybe in early 30s, enough so that I really knew, I just knew that there was more. Um, and it's it's hard to describe that if you haven't had it. I, I mean, I'll just say I, there was a period when I'd been really struggling and I was very, very poor and I thought the noise in my head would never go away. And I woke up one morning, and I'd been praying, and it was gone. And what was there in, in its place was this peace that I'd never really known. And I was walking around New York City with maybe 45 cents to my name, and I knew I was fine, and I knew that I was right where I was supposed to be, and so was everybody else. And it lasted for like three days. It was really astonishing. And I never forgot that, and that this my heart center was just pulsing. It was just alive on fire during all of that. So I knew there was more, and I was studying with this woman who was a healer in my early 30s. And um, I, she, she said in a class, okay, everybody ask for one thing, you're going to get it. You know, and she gave us a, a prayer to work with or a, a way of, of, in, of invoking but she said, write it down carefully. You're going to get it. And, you know, in retrospect, I, I probably just should have asked for a nicer apartment or, you know, <laughs> job security. But I, at the time, I was so very moved by the possibility of knowing, truly knowing source in whatever way it could be known, that I, I recall writing down something to the effect of, I want to go all the way with this. And I think what I did in that was invite a teaching through that I never would have expected. And it didn't occur to me till many years later that perhaps this is what I had asked for. Um, I don't think I'm all that special. I don't think I'm all that evolved. I'm not a spiritual teacher. I'm not a guru. I don't want to be those things. I seem to be a very good radio, and I seem to have a skill set that allows me to be worked with effectively in this way, wherever it comes from. And, you know, according to the guides, we've been through this before together, and um, I find them very patient with me. Um, I interrupt their teachings often when I have questions, and those questions are in the books. I mean, the interruptions are in the books. They'll say, Paul is asking. And, you know, I, I don't write these books, but my name does appear on the cover, and I have... Right a sense of responsibility to my participation in this at whatever level of collaboration I'm holding as, you know, the one speaking their words. So I'm grateful for this. I may never understand it until I'm dead. I may never fully comprehend this whole experience. It's not what I expected. And I truthfully wasn't somebody who necessarily put great stock in channeling, and I still am skeptical about some of the stuff that I think maybe called that. I think there's a real difference between inspiration, which is very valid, and spiritual channeling or true channeling. And I also think that there are a lot of radio stations that people can tune into, and not all of them are necessarily giving very high information. I'm very cautious about stuff that is propagating fear. I'm very cautious about teachings that are claiming separation. Um, or even sort of harping on current events, you know, in, in certain ways that seem to exacerbate, you know, the challenges of the times. My guides are actually teaching quite differently, and I think they're teaching to the best parts of us in, in the hopes or in the belief that we can realize those parts of us. And so that's how my experience is, you know, um, so I don't know if I answered your question. Yeah, you did, but in, in your answer, you said uh, something to the effect of, I'm not special, um, yeah. I'm not a teacher. Uh, and that may be true now, but do you think you're being groomed to be a teacher? Not, Is that part of I this process? Not, truthfully. <laughs> I've gotten really good because, you know, I channel. And, you know, I mean, I don't know that I'll channel on your show, but, you know, when I do, I whisper the words and repeat them. Sometimes it's coming in a right. mile a minute. It's horribly ungraceful and challenging to listen to. And I do workshops all over the place, and I find myself often 
explaining the teachings or breaking down the teachings of the guides, and I've gotten good at that because I've had so much repetition, and it's frankly one of the ways that I learn and integrate it myself. You know, in any given channeling, I may be retaining a third of what I've said, but, you know, you hear enough and you're able to sort of explain it enough, and if I'm explaining it wrong, which I sometimes do, the guides jump in and say, thank you, Paul, that was a nice attempt, but this is what was intended. So, you know... I was a college teacher for a long time. I was a very good one. I really loved it. They're better teachers than I am. They come through with their teaching. And I feel kind of like, you know, the teacher's assistant when I come through with my own stuff. And that's fine for me for now. If I embody, as they say we can embody, perhaps I'll integrate this and it will just be me at this level, but for the time being, I'm quite aware of the distinction between us. They have a better vocabulary than I do. You know, they use word. There's a word in the newest book that's not out yet that I refuse to speak because I didn't think it was really a word, and I didn't know what it meant. And in the transcript for the book, it says, you know, the guide said, Paul is hearing a word, he's refusing to say it. And I was, because the rule with the books is we don't get to go back and fix things or edit or take things out. The word was, it's a, it appears as a footnote in the newest book, the one that's coming out in August. Is that alchemy? Is that the name that's of it? That? alchemy, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the word was penumbra. It's a beautiful word. I just didn't know it. Everybody in the group Googled it the moment we got off. You know, I stopped selling <laughs> I said, I don't know what this means. It was penumbra, which was the light that appears beyond the shadow. And it was the perfect metaphor for the entire chapter. Um, but, you know, I didn't say it, and I have to say, you know, my bad to that one. So I think they're a bit smarter than I am, and actually a lot. I have friends who actually say, Paul, I know this isn't you. You're not that smart, and I'm fine with that, you know. It's, it's actually a comfortable place for me to rest. Do you know the identity of the guides, and is it the same guides each time that uh, work with you when you're channeling? Well, there's certainly a familiarity. I wouldn't be listening to them, I think, if I didn't trust them and I didn't recognize the texture and the tone and the vibration that they come with. But I I understand them as a collective, you know, a collective of teachers. Um, There's one book, which is the Book of Truth, that I feel was dictated. It felt like it was dictated by one guide, and it was slightly different from what I was used to. And the big difference was that guide used the word deers, which is a word that I really don't like very much and I don't use, you know. But he would say, we'd like you to know deers, you know. And it's throughout the book, and I just kept rolling my eyes as they were dictating, or it was dictating. But what I noticed about that dictation was it was extraordinarily careful. It was like somebody was sitting beside me and reading off a printed page that they had already you know, proofed perfectly. There was nothing at all spontaneous about that dictation. There's another guy that I work with that comes through who's very boisterous. He likes to talk about song and tone and, you know, the great grand chorus that's about to commence. And I quite enjoy that energy when it comes through because it's a joyful energy. And it's also a deeply, deeply wise and compassionate energy that I've come to really trust and I feel very cared for. But for the most part, I experience it as one energy, even though perhaps the energy is comprised of, 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 of different levels of consciousness. Paul, you said this started, the books themselves started to be channeled through you in 2009. How many books in total have been channeled? Eight now. The eighth is going to be published in August and there's another one due, so I expect to be starting um, the final book of this trilogy sometime in the next couple of months. Do they tell you this is going to be a series of three books, this will be yeah. a trilogy? So you know that yeah. going into it? I do. That much I know. I don't know what the titles are. Uh-huh. Um, sometimes I'll get the title of the first book. The publisher likes to have that, but I often don't know what the title is until they're dictating the introductionals. They'll call it, you know, and welcome to the book of such and such, or welcome to the introduction to, you know, blank, and that's when I know it. You know, the way you just said that uh, was eerily reminiscent of biblical books. Welcome to the book of... uh, Do you see them that way? No, I don't. I mean, I think that, you know, I've been told by religious scholars there are people that actually look at these books and 
in, 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 in a larger context. I've been told by, you know, some that these are Gnostic teachings, and the Gnostics, I think, were in some ways, you know, the first Christians, um, you know, prior to, you know, the organized religion that we have today. I've been told that, I've been told by others that this is, um, what is the word, Our her- they're hermetic texts because the guides are teaching about the, the inherent divinity of form and of all matter. So I, I'm sure, you know, and I, it's funny, I had I did an interview earlier today with someone, you know, who's a Hindu and said, you know, this work is highly reminiscent of many of the things that, you know, that I was taught. So I, I think, you know, what I understand is that at the core base of, of all world religions, there's probably one inherent truth that's being described in different ways. But, you know, that's, I don't think of them that way. Others may. Um, I think of them really as as a series of teachings that come, you know, to support us, the student, in, in our own realization of, of of the presence of the divine in all things. Paul, walk us through the books from the from the beginning to now. I'll do what I can. So the first book um, is called "I Am the Word," and I actually think that the first book holds the DNA of all the books that follow. In in that book, early in the introduction, there was a line that I didn't quite understand, or at least I I, I understood it at the level of understanding that I had at the time. The guides use the word Christ at times, and they define it to say the aspect of the Creator that can be realized in material form. It's the seed of the divine that they say is present in in everything and all of us. And they say that Christ in humanity is an event that happens, the awakening to our own divine nature. And I thought at the time that that meant, well, you know, we get to be a little more spiritual, a little nicer to each other. But I think really that's what the teaching is. They're teaching the manifestation of the divine in form. Um, and then that's every book in some ways has been moving towards that. The second book was called The Book of Love and Creation. In a lot of ways, it's the manual for how to work with the energy of the Word. And they say the Word is the energy of the Creator in action. They've said in subsequent books that there's one note, one sound in being played in the entire universe, one one note of, of music that's in articulation is all matter. Everything comes from this one note. It's just in different at different levels of you know realization, manifestation, vibration, whatever words you want to use. And I suppose that's the same thing as the word or the idea that in the beginning was the word, this one note which they call God. The third book is called The Book of Knowing and Worth, and it's one of my favorites, actually. It's a very loving book, and what they are talking about in that book is our refusal or fear of claiming our own divine worth, our own ability to have a relationship with Source. Um, you know, we come from a paradigm, they say, that if there is a God, it's up there in the clouds and we're here in the mud, and they say, you know, well, God is also the mud, and it's also everything you see, because God must be in all things or can be nowhere at all. You don't really get to cherry-pick. They say, you know, everything is holy. The divine, you can, They say you, can, you can't make anything holy, but you can sure deny the divine in anything or anyone. And they say what you put in darkness, who you hold in darkness, calls you to that darkness. There's no other way. You can't be the light and hold another in darkness. It's the height of hypocrisy, and it's the challenge that many religions seem to be having. So that book seems to open us up to receive the next series of teachings. You've got to claim your worthiness to go where they take you next. The second trilogy is called the Mastery Trilogy. The first book is the Book of Mastery. And that's where they really begin to move us towards an understanding of our own true nature and how to realize it, um, how to be a master. They say you can't be a master and a victim at the same time. There's a meditation in that book that I love where they say, you know, we're walking into a cave, and in that cave is the one person you never want to see again as long as you live. And, you know, your job now is to escort that person back to the light. 
because you've put him or her in darkness. They've called you to that darkness. So they're really pushing us there. The metaphor for mastery, that book, is climbing a mountain and what you encounter on your way up. The book that followed that is called The Book of Truth. It was actually dictated right before the last presidential election. And it's a really interesting book, and they talk uh, in that about the energy of truth as being present now on this plane. And they say, in truth, a lie cannot be hold, um, you know, cannot be held. But what we're dealing with right now is sort of the refusal of that. So they talk about our time as if it's an archaeological dig, like everything that's been buried five weeks ago, 5,000 years ago, it's all being exhumed. It's being exhumed so it can be seen, it can be healed. What the guides say is, you know, if you've got a dead body buried in the basement, it's going to stink up the house one of these days. And the stuff that we bury in ourselves, where we deny the divine in ourselves, we, we de- deny it in others and everything as well. So they're calling us forward in this energy of truth and to our responsibility for our lives. And, you know, they say, and and I believe this to be so, they say there has never been a lie told that was not told in fear. And they say the action of fear is to claim more fear. Look at every choice you've made in fear and see what it got you, and you'll see that it's more of the same. After that was the Book of Freedom. And the Book of Freedom is where they're beginning to move us beyond the collective agreement to what reality is. You know, one of the things that they begin to do in the prior book, Book of Truth, is talk about and give you an experience of, of, of the divine as form. You know, and they actually teach you how to claim the inherent divine in who or what you see. And you can literally feel the energy come back at you in waves. They call it the echo. In the Book of Freedom, what they're really doing is supporting us in sort of breaking through what they might call the false ceiling or the the agreement to separation that we seem to have made here. And um, at the end of that book, they're actually inviting the reader across a threshold you know, into a new space, a new room, a new way of being. And that's where they left us at the end of the last trilogy. The first book of the new trilogy, Beyond the Known Realization, is where they introduce us to the upper room, which they say is the octave above the one that we're operating in here. They say this reality that we know is a collective agreement, and it's an octave. It has its high notes and its low notes. Everything is in vibration and resonance and is existing within this sort of strata of vibration that we know of as an octave. But they say any note, any song can be played in a higher octave into infinity. Mm-hmm. And what they're doing with us is transposing the music or the vibration that we are to be played or sung in what they call the upper room, which is the octave above. And that octave, which is really interesting because you can begin to experience, doesn't operate with fear, doesn't exist there. So the guides actually lift people to that level of vibration in workshops, and the book does it as well. And you can begin to have an experience of what it's like to be fearless without that sort of contamination. And, you know, much of that is coming through, you know, the agreement that the collective has made over time, you know, historical data, who we should be afraid of, why we should be afraid, why we should be separate from each other, which sort of translates to our separation from source. You know, if I'm separate from the one beside me, I'm separate from everyone you know, because I've claimed myself in separation. The book that's not out yet is Alchemy, and um, that's where they really begin to talk about how matter is renowned in what they call the upper room, and they talk about in that book the transition between the two octaves, what it's like to travel in vibration between one level of experience and being to another. And it's really a tough book. I mean, they're really talking in that book about releasing all these aspects of the self that are really tethered or tied or weighted to fear or in agreement to the denial of the divine. It's it's a little like being turned inside out, in my experience. 
And that's where they've left us. And I don't know what the next book is. They're teaching some new stuff in the last month or two in workshops that I assume will be the basis for where they go next. But I'm not going to say that for sure because I truly don't know. I don't know the title of the next book. Is it necessary, recommended, or completely optional if someone was new to this work to start at the first book? I think it's not going to hurt anybody, that's for sure. I think it'll be helpful. But the guides say, and they've said it from the beginning, that they teach in a one-room schoolhouse, house, and, you know, they meet their students wherever they are, you know. So they're always teaching to the collective. I was told recently that, um, you know, Beyond the Known Realization would be published in Russian, and it's the only one of the books that... I know of that's going to be published there. And I thought, well, that'll be interesting for that readership because they're not going to have the context. I tend to tell people when they ask to go where they're led. You know, some people are drawn to one book, most of them, if the teachings resonate with them, then go backwards and, and, you know, read up and then go forward to what's next. And I think these books, you know, it should be said that these books seem to operate as energetic expressions. So there's the books that operate on two levels, the words in the page that provide intellectual context. But the guides say the real book is the energetic transmission. And, you know, they say these are books to be experienced more so than read. And it was interesting when the first book was published and, you know, nobody knew about me at all and there was certainly no press on that book. And people started reviewing the book on, on Amazon and other platforms and saying, you know, I'm reading this book and my body's vibrating. I'm reading this book and I'm seeing auras. So there's always been phenomena attached to the guides teaching. The guides say they're actually sponsoring their students through this experience. They're working with the reader to support them in their own realization. Are the books written for all mankind? Are they channeled for all mankind? I hope so. I don't know who they would leave out or why they would leave anybody out. They don't operate that way. We operate that way. They certainly don't. Now, um, you briefly touched on the new book, um, which we, uh, Realization, which is the beginning of the the second trilogy. Um, And you you briefly touched, pardon me? The third trilogy. I'm sorry, the third trilogy. Uh Um, But give us a little more information about how this one differs from the others. Well, it's, it's the most advanced teaching to date. I think the other books in some ways are precursors to this one. This is about beginning to operate in an embodied state as the true self in manifestation in what they call the upper room. They say the one who begins operating in the upper room, which is the octave above the collective field, um, becomes the portal or the doorway for others. So by nature of being, by nature of your expression, by nature of your vibrational field, you're actually lifting what you encounter. And they say this is done through energetic accord. They say accord, A-C-C-O-R-D, or A-C-H-O-R-D is on a piano. They say everything is in vibration and tone, and, you know, everything is operating in entrainment, which is the idea of like attracts like. So the one who's operating at that level of consciousness and vibration by nature of presence is lifting everything and everyone that he or she encounters to this level of tone or vibration or realization. It's a really radical teaching, um, and it makes oddly perfect sense when you look at it in the context. I mean, I have been stretched well beyond my comfort zone through these teachings. None of this is comfortable for me personally. But I've got a pretty, (coughs) excuse me, you know, well-defined BS detector, and I can't fault the teachings as they come. You know, they really have created their case. And when they're working, you know, specifically when they're working in groups, and I do workshops very, very often, you know, the guides attune people to work with the energy. Each of the books has energetic attunements that support the reader in acclimating to the higher vibrational fields or the radio stations that they say they play. You know, they say, you know, we're all radios, we're all in vibration, 
And, you know, there are certain stations, which is the divine, that we've been told we're not allowed to play or we, haven't, we don't know the coordinates, and they give them to us to work with. And the energy, I have to say, is extraordinarily palpable. You really can't deny it, you know. And once you experience it, that can, that can be a life changer. For me, it meant that nothing was what I thought it was. You know, everything was different when I started to feel the energy. Right. And this stops being, you know, conjecture or possible. It becomes another reality that you can know and experience. Uh, Paul, let's jump to the phone lines. We've had some people mm-hmm. waiting here, so I just want to get a couple questions in. This sure. is uh, Luli calling from Iowa. Hey, Luli, welcome to the program. You've got a big uh, presidential primary or a caucus, I guess, something coming up, right? <laughs> yes, yes, we do. Good evening, everyone. Can you hear me right? Yeah, we can hear you. What's on your mind? All right. Hello, Mr. Paul. Hello. Hey, um, I have two questions, but we can start with one if you can. It's about fear. Mm-hmm. How can we separate or distinguish fear with being cautious? Mm-hmm. I mean, I understand, from my understanding, fear is, fear is one of, I think, our human, human's worst enemies. But mm-hmm. we do need caution. I mean, we do need to be safe and aware. So how can we distinguish or separate the two? Well, I think discernment is the key. So I live in New York City. I have a lock on my door. I don't think that that's a fear-based choice. I think that that's prudent given that I live in New York City. I don't have seven locks on my door, and I do let people in. So, um, I mean, the guides do speak about this. I mean, they say, you know, uh, basically, you know, if you're camping and there's a bear go away, you know. You're not making the bear evil, you know, or bad. You're you're acting on in self-preservation on your own behalf. So that's my understanding of it. I'm I am able at this point for the most part to question myself, you know, is am I acting in caution, you know, or am I acting prudently? I I would I did a live stream last night actually and there was a guy that called in from china and he wanted to know whether or not he should leave because of the health concerns there and you know the answer actually that the guides came through with surprised me and they said you know when you're in a flood there's nothing wrong with going to higher ground that makes perfect sense and that's not a fear-based decision you're acting in self-preservation so that's one of the ways that i tend to look at it Right. Thank you very much. Did you have a and second? Have a time for one. Do you have yes. a second question, Lily? Yes. Now, Mr. Paul, I mean, I understand that you're not, you're not, you know, your guys are not running in or anything, which is understandable. If you can't answer this question, it's totally fine. Um, I have what I call rooted dreams. It's when I dream and I'm in the dream, and uh, it's on mute, like when you put on the TV and it's muted. Usually, it's message, and like your book says. I know it's a message, but I can't remember that. I remember the whole dream, but I well, can't remember dreams. the message. <laughs> That's the key. I think you've got to ask your dreams to work with you, and you have to ask to remember them, and then you do, and then you will. Your dreams will work with you at that level. You know, it's one of the ways we're communicated with, I think, you know, by the true self, by our guides, you know, and by the aspects of ourselves that are seeking some recognition. So that's the simple way is is begin to ask. Okay. Lily, thanks for the phone call, and thank you for listening, and we appreciate your participation in the chat room as well. Um, remember that Paul's website is his name, paulselig.com. Um, Paul, before we get back into discussing the book, what do you offer on the website? I know people can find out more information about the books, but what else is there? Well, there's information on, on live streams, on live events. I channel most Wednesday nights online. Um, people can sign up for those. There are uh, occasional free online events. There's access to a library of past channelings. And there's a very active calendar for events. I travel all over the world, you know, and the guides are teaching, and they come through and they do their work. And, and there's information on, on private readings there as well, though I don't do as many of those as I used to. So we're talking about the upper room in your new book, Realization. Um, can how do you get there? What do you have to do while you're living to get to the upper room? Or is everybody entitled to be there? 
everybody's entitled to be there. I mean, there's, the guides say there's an aspect of us that's already there, the true self or the God within, if you want to call it that, is already expressing at that level. I mean, the guides have said, you know, the upper room is, is the, the highest we can come to while we're still maintaining a body. It's the level of vibration. They've called it Christ mind, among other things. But there's a process that they take their readers through, and it's a process really of alignment. They say the whole teaching is really about alignment. And, you know, there are these attunements that they work with. One of them is, I know who I am in truth. I know what I am in truth. I know how I serve in truth. I am free. I am free. I am free. And the guides say the true self knows this. The true self knows who it is, which is of source, an expression of source, what it is in manifestation in a body as this, and how it serves, which simply means how it's most fully expressed. And the true self is free, because how could it not be? And it's the true self that can make a very simple claim. I am in the upper room. And in that claim, you can often feel the energetic field lift and shift. There's an extended meditation, a very simple one, actually, where they take their readers there in the book realization, and there are choices to be made if you want to begin to go to that level of alignment. If you want to do this stuff, it changes things. You know, this isn't convenient stuff. It's not the teaching of how to get a bigger condominium or how to get your kid into a better school. You know, it's the teaching of, of embodiment. And the upper room, they say, is where this can happen. And it is available to anybody, but you're going to have to let go of the aspect of the self that doesn't operate there, you know, which is the false sense of who we are, the mask that we wear, which is the idea of personality. It's not the true self. What happens when we're there, Paul? Is is it is it is it as an all knowing place? Is it a um, is it a matrix type place? Are we connected to everything and everyone? Well, you know, I visited. I go there when they bring us all there in groups. I know what it's like to operate from there when I'm channeling because I believe that that's where I'm taken to do the work. The guides say it's an intermediary place for them where they can come and teach and, and meet us there. My experience of being there, such as it is, and everybody who's done a workshop where they've lifted everybody to the upper room is pretty much the same. There's no fear. You're not operating at that level. It doesn't exist at that level. And I've got to say in my life, and often still, I can be quite fearful and worried and, you know, all of those things. So for me to begin to have that experience is, is quite something. Now, is it all-knowing? I think that there's access there, but I think the upper room is another octave. And like all octaves, there are high and low notes. And I've entered into it. I know what that experience is. I'm not going to say that it's where I'm living 24-7. What they're teaching us to do is how to begin to operate there, which really does involve a fair amount of divestment of ideas of who we are, who we should be, and what the culture says we should be, and who we should be afraid of, and why. All that stuff kind of gets to release at this level. Um, when I'm there and when others are there, there is an extraordinary sense of the presence of the divine. That's all things. You know, it's where you are able to see and begin to realize, which means know the presence of source in all things. That's what they're teaching. They call it the kingdom. And you, the kingdom, they say, exists or is access. That's a better way to put it from the upper room, from that level of consciousness. Paul, we have a question from our chat room. Um, mm -hmm. when, Wendy wants to know if you believe in quantum jumping. I've not read any of that stuff, truthfully. I'm so ill-read, so I apologize to Wendy. I don't know what it means. You know, I don't know that the guides know what it means either. I mean, if it means that we can be in one reality and then another, yes, I suspect that that's what I'm doing when I read, I used to think that if I was reading for somebody in China, I was traveling to China because I would step into them and feel what it was like to be them in their in their body, in their in their room, wherever it was. And it was actually the physicist Dean Radin who said to me at a conference, 
you know, you're not actually going to China, you're going inward. And I didn't understand at the time that, you know, there were these, I don't know what they're called, wormholes, whatever, these ways that we can travel. I do know that consciousness isn't localized and it's not bound by time and space at all. You know, that's at this lower level of manifestation. So apologies to Wendy, I can't speak to whatever than I just did. All right, going back to the upper room, uh, we know there are people in this world um, that some would label evil, uh, yep. that have done bad things. Yep. Uh, can, can they be lifted into the upper room? Yes, actually, but the guides are really specific about this. They actually say you can't lift the evil man to the upper room because you have made him evil, you know? And in making him evil or claiming him as evil, you align to him at that level of vibration. So he can't be lifted because you can't lift him. The way to lift the man is to know the inherent presence of the divine that must be there anyway, in spite of what he's done, in spite of what he's claimed as an identity, in spite of how others may revile or judge him you still go to the inherent source that must be there. That's how the human being is, is lifted, or, or the vibration of the man is lifted, you know, beyond the mask he's worn. I mean, I hear from the guides again and again and again, we are accountable to our acts. If you do something in fear, you know, or claim an act of violence, you are accountable to that. That's karma. But you can actually lift anyone or anything when you're operating from your own knowing. Now, the aspect of you that's able to lift another is the aspect of self that knows who he is as of source. My personality self can't lift anybody in the upper room. My personality self is too busy judging or deciding or, you know, making assessments about what this person should be like. That's how the personality self operates. Personality self operates through history, how people should behave and, you know, what we will ascribe to their acts. The true self, the guides say, doesn't operate at that level. The true self, you know, said, well, they say it this way, God perceives God in all things, can't exclude anything else. The divine self as you is who can perceive the divine in another regardless of what he's done or she's done or has been accused of or you would have them be as a small self. The lifting to the upper room is simply a reclamation of the inherent divinity. You see, I mean, the guides say, you know, you can't make the rock holy. The rock is already holy, but you can exclude the divinity in the rock. But when the rock is renown as of source, the vibration of the rock, they say, is an acceleration and lifting. Um, and so much of what we do is we look at people and things and we call to them all of this history you know, based on what we've been taught to believe. And very often that stuff is preclusive of source. It is the denial of the divine. I mean, this is what the guides teach. <coughs> Pardon me, they say that the only problem humanity really has right now, the only one, is the denial of source, the denial of God, the denial of the divine. Whatever you want to call God doesn't matter to them at all. But that's the problem, is where we deny the inherent holiness of ourselves, in another, of our planet, of the world we share. You know, and then all things, they say, can be made new at the level of realization that they're teaching. You know, when they started teaching this stuff, I was, I was challenged by it, and deeply so. They say, you know, I, you know, the New Agers will say, well, you create your own reality. And I said, well, you know, to the guys, well, I didn't create the war in Iraq. And they said, no, you didn't. However your consciousness perceives it and consequently is contributing to it with whatever you think of it. You're actually claiming the thing as what you say. And they, they put it this way in a very simple way. What you damn damns you back. What you bless blesses you in return. It's that simple. So I said to them, so that means if there's a book on the table in Paris, I'm in agreement or vibratory accord to the book on the table in Paris. And they said, the moment you know there's a book on the table in Paris, yes, your consciousness informs the matter. You know, the, the physical object that you know of this book. Because they say everything is in vibration. Everything is an expression of source operating at one level of tone or another. 
high, low, and in between. Paul, by the way, Wendy in our chat room who asked that last question was uh, very, very happy with the answer. So you you, you did <laughs> you hit you hit the nail on the head with, for what she was looking for. I do have another chat room question. Uh, speaking of karma, this is from uh, Champagne. Speaking of mm-hmm. karma, how does this go about if you're closing out a karmic relationship and dealing with the hurt of these types of relationships that these types of relationships do to us? Well, you know, I mean, if I were reading, I would just tune into Champagne and I would tune into who she's splitting from and tell her what her lessons are because they can be specific to individuals. I'm going to say this, and it's a general teaching, but the guides use it all the time. And that the bigger that pretty much any problematic relationship can be addressed through the understanding that we need to forgive the other person for not being who we wanted them to be or who we want them to be. That lets them off the hook for being who they are, and it gives us liberation as well. So, I mean, it's deeply challenging at times, truthfully, and I've had people in my life, and I still do today, that I don't want to see. I don't want to have lunch with. I don't have to, thank God. But when I'm denying the divine in them, I'm denying it in myself. Again, you can't be the light and hold another in darkness. That doesn't mean you don't feel your feelings. It doesn't mean you have to like somebody. Like is a personality construct, you know, but the teaching of love thy neighbor really is, to my mind, a, a true teaching, which means you have to realize or know the inherent worth or divinity in whoever you're seeing, regardless if they agree to, you know, what, what you want them to be or are performing as you think they should or behaving as you wish. So I don't know if I've answered this. I mean, the simple. I'm going to go to the guides with this. And if I if I channel, I whisper and I repeat, and it sounds ridiculous, but that's just how it comes through. The guides are saying everybody needs to understand that they're in part. They're in participation to their agreements. It's a big dance. It's a big dance. You step on your partner's toes. You step on your partner's toes. You get yelled at. You get yelled at. You apologize. You apologize. You take another partner. You take another partner. He steps on your toes. He steps on your toes. You are enraged. You are enraged. You forgive. You forgive. You continue the dance. You continue the dance. This is a great dance. This is a great dance. You're engaging and you are engaging and you learn through all your encounters. You learn through all your encounters, not just the ones that go the way you wish, not just the ones that go the way you wish, but each is an opportunity to learn. But each is an opportunity to learn and to know the divine in another and to know the divine in another period. And they're saying period. So that was from them. Well, there you go, Champagne. Thank you for doing that, Paul. Um, what about world events? Do the guides comment or offer you uh, any insight or guidance or comfort on what often seems to be a very tumultuous world around us? Yeah, but I mean, they don't get specific in the sexy ways that people want. You know, they could care less about pop culture, as far as I can say. But they yeah. said this. They said this um, in the first book, I Am the Word, and they've repeated it many times. They said, humanity is at a time of reckoning. And the reckoning is a facing of oneself and all of one's creations. And everything that's been created in fear needs to be reseen and lifted to the light to be renowned. And this basically includes political structures, religious institutions, economic structures, all of these things are, are being renowned, reconceived in a higher way. And none of this is comfortable to the small self or the personality self who knows itself through history. So they've been saying that we're in a time of enormous change, great change, um, you know, and, and continue to. So, you know, occasionally they'll speak to things. There's a channeling that's up on the web that they dictated three days before the last presidential election. I think it was called Great Change, which was surprising in its prophecy in terms of what they were speaking about. I get world stuff occasionally through the psychic door, not through the channel door. Um, And I'm not comfortable doing that work. I'm not doing world predictions. You know, there are things that I've received about world events. Years ago, somebody that I was living with was opening a business in lower Manhattan 
and want to know if he was going to be able to make the rent on his business in the month of October. And he said, ask the guides, and I did. And the answer was no. And he said, why would that be? Why wouldn't I make the rent? And the answer was, well, there's going to be a terrorist attack in lower Manhattan. And indeed there was, which in the whole neighborhood was cordoned off. There was no rent to pay. There was no business. There was nobody allowed in that area. So I got that through the back door. Do you understand? I wasn't looking for it. Um, It came in response to a very practical question. And occasionally I'll get those things. But, you know, the weight that we give these things, you know, culturally, you know, is somewhat different than I think how they're perceived in a higher way. The guides did talk about 9-11 in the first book, I Am the Word. It's the only time they've, they've talked about a world event in a teaching. And they said, you know, it was a great opportunity for our country to, to renegotiate its relationship with authority and to become responsive as opposed to be on the attack, that we could become a model for great change. And, you know, but the admonition basically seemed to be don't go to war, which is what we did, you know. Um, So that was what I heard then. But, you know, other people do those things, you know. The psychic stuff and the world stuff is, 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 is exciting and people like it. But these guys are teachers. I think they have a different stake. Do you get a sense, or maybe you know, do the, do the guides know the future or do they mold the future? Well, that's a really interesting question. I, I hear we mold the future. We're doing this. We have choice. I mean, the guides have said, you know... We're really at a crossroads. We have choices to make. I get from them that we're going to make it. But the guides say, if we choose as humanity to blow ourselves up to kingdom come, we can do that. We have free will. If we want to learn our lessons through extinguishing all life on this planet, we can. It's not the highest way to learn. I mean, And they, and they, they talk to us about these things. They say, you know... You, you know, the belief that a bomb is going to keep you safe or building a bigger bomb is going to keep you safe is really the height of insanity. Bombs are meant to destroy. They're meant to kill. So stop building bigger bombs, you know. Yeah. But I hear we're going to make it, and I hear they're teaching us, you know, a way to support realization not only of ourselves but of everyone you know if it was a way to support humanity in awakening to its true inherently divine nature that's their teaching and you know we get to choose that though you know they don't make us do anything we have free will how we want to use it is up to us it's okay if someone is either new to your work or is in the middle of of these books and uh you know ultimately makes it to what we would call up to date to what the most recent released book is what are you hoping they can walk away with well knowing who they are knowing who they really are beyond what their parents told them they were beyond what the culture says they should be beyond all of those agreements that are made through this template of history of what it means to succeed or be a good human being or a bad one, all of the stuff, you know, the guides say, you know, we walk around as they said, imagine like every job you ever had in your life came with a name tag and you were walking down the street with all those name tags on you and why, you know, people are coming up and say, would you flip my burger and you haven't flipped a burger in 30 years, you know? But that's kind of what we do with who we think we are. You know, the names we've carried, the ways of self-identifying. Those are things the guides call the small self. And they're saying, you know, the masquerade is over. You know, it's time to drop the mask. It's time to claim who you truly are. So if people can come away with that, I think the guides have done their work. If they come away with the realization of the inherent divine in another, in everyone, in themselves, they've really done their work. But they're teaching embodiment. They're teaching how to operate at that level. I'm not there yet, you know. I take the dictation, but I am a student of the work, and I do learn as I continue to grow with it, as do others. And I know we talked about uh, humanity. We talked about the future of humanity, but I want to get a little bit of a clarification do the guides tell you that the future of humanity is that all humanity will be lifted into a spiritual uh, be- essence, a spiritual being, or are we lifted as we move on individually? 
Well, I've heard it. I, I understand it this way. Everybody gets realized eventually. That's why we incarnate. You know, we incarnate for this reason. I don't think it's a race to a finish line, and I don't know, truthfully, that it's a collective event where suddenly the lights come on and everybody's yeah. awakened. I don't really get that. What okay. I understand a bit more of, if you imagine that there's a false ceiling that we've all been in agreement to, you know, like a dropped ceiling like you'll see in an office, you know, that's not a real ceiling. There's more that exists above it. It's a little like those of us who are coming first are punching the hole in the drop ceiling to expose the light that is expressing beyond. And as enough of us begin to do this, that matrix, that structure, that belief in separation falls. And I think that's what's beginning to happen now. And I don't think any of it's comfortable, truthfully. I think it's probably going to be a bit messy. I don't think that there's anything polite about rebirth. I mean, if you've ever seen a caterpillar turn into a butterfly, it's a mess. The thing is sort of <laughs> renowned. It's reduced to goo, and then it's this other thing. And I think that in some ways that's the process that one undergoes. I don't think it's about rainbows and crystals and, you know, sparrows, you know, singing in the sky. I think that there's there's facing aspects of ourselves that are challenging. I think how we treat one another, which for the most part on this planet is atrocious, if you think about it. You know, we deny the divine in so many. We deny people food. I mean, the guides say, you know, we are our brother's keeper. We really are. You know, it's an opportunity, truthfully, if we think about it, to care for one another. But we have free will, and we've been so frightened into a belief in scarcity you know, which ends up sort of making us greedy or wanting to hoard things, you know, well, there won't be enough, so I'll save what I've got, you know, that we have all this crap that we've accumulated that we're going to have to work through or release, and that's a challenge, you know, and I don't know that it's popular right now. People are hunkering down in their belief systems of separation is what mm -hmm. I'm seeing. But I've heard from the guides, and I hope this to be true, is that this is really fear's last hurrah. You know, it's the desperate attempt to deny the divine. You know, and, you know, again, the action of fear is to claim more fear, and every time we're invited to be afraid, we're giving fear more power. And I don't think that that's how we're going to transform as a culture in a positive way. I think that's how we'll end up harming ourselves if we continue. Two trilogies currently available. The third trilogy, the first book of the third trilogy, is what we're talking about, Beyond the Known Realization. That is available. And then the second book of the third trilogy, which is uh, titled Alchemy, that'll be available in August, Paul? That's correct, August. Where can people get the books? Um, they're all available online at Barnes Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, all the booksellers. Alchemy can be pre-ordered already. It's up there, you know, for purchase if people want. There are audio books of all the books. Um, I do the recordings. People seem to like them. Um, but that's available on audible.com and I'm sure elsewhere. So, yeah, the stuff is available. You can go to your bookstore. They may have them there, too, just in the corner. Okay. And to keep track of your appearances and other work, website's the best place? West, website's the best place. You can sign up from my mailing list. We don't bombard you with stuff. But you get a calendar every month about where events will be, and I'm, I'm all over the place, truthfully. It's like three a month I'm doing. Well, thank you for taking time out to be with us again tonight, Paul. I really appreciate it and enjoyed your, uh, your, your time with us and look forward to having you back. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Beyond Reality Paranormal is hosted by J.V. Johnson and produced by Orion Palmer and Slick Eddie Edwards. Like us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Please consider supporting the program either through your podcast platform, click on the link in the description, or on Patreon at Joha Productions. If you'd like to be a guest on Beyond Reality Paranormal or you have a recommendation for a guest, contact our producer, Slick Eddie Edwards. Eddie is spelled with a Y at slickeddieedwards at gmail.com.